Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Friday, June 30th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. The U.S. is close to approving attackums. For Ukraine. So the Wall Street Journal reported on Thursday that the U.S. is close to approving the provision of longer range missiles that the White House has been reluctant to send to Ukraine due to concerns of escalation. So the Army Tactical Missile Systems, known as the ATACMS, they have a range of up to 190 miles and can be fired from U.S. provided HIMARS rocket systems. The attackums would more than double Ukraine's strike range and could be used to hit targets inside Crimea and in the Russian mainland. So most of the ammunition that Kiev has for use with the HIMARS rocket systems has a range of about 50 miles. Although the U.S. did recently send the ground-launched small diameter bombs, which they can hit targets up to 94 miles away. So that was a significant uh, increase in their range. Although it's not, I'm not really sure exactly how many of those that they have. Russia said that they downed one of these uh, rockets back in March. I haven't heard much about them since then. Um, So I know the primary munition that they have, it's that 50 mile range. So going from 50 miles to 190 miles would be pretty significant. So U.S. and European officials told the Wall Street Journal that the decision to send attackums is pending approval at the highest levels of the U.S. government. The report said that the officials have seen signs that previously reluctant quarters of the U.S. government, namely the White House, have come to see an urgent need to bolster Ukraine's fight in the coming weeks. So the officials cited Yevgeny Prigozhin's short-lived mutiny as a reason why the U.S. should escalate military aid for Ukraine. So that's becoming, uh, you know, a common talking point and an argument that the Hawks are using. We know in Congress they are arguing that the uprising is evidence that U.S. support for Kiev is working, and they say that it's a reason to approve more spending on the war. Uh, So later in the day on Thursday, Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder was asked about this report, and all he said was that he's not aware of any imminent decision. Uh, So he didn't comment on, you know, these these officials saying that there is a change, you know, in the White House, that they're leaning more towards sending them. And I know previously the U.S. said that they couldn't send them because they didn't have enough in their own stockpiles. Um, but so that would be another issue, uh, you know, that they might be thinking about, but so Ukrainian officials insist that they won't use the attackums to target Russian territory, but the discord leaks have suggested that Zelensky would want to use the U S provided missiles in Russia. According to one of these documents that was obtained by spying on Zelensky, he expressed concern about the fact that his forces did not have weapons that could hit troops inside Russia he was also talking about, uh, you know, other attacks, other types of attacks inside Russia. And we know there's been a lot of drone strikes. There's been those cross-border raids, um, assassinations. So, you know, we shouldn't be surprised if the U.S. does send these and they start using them to hit Russia. So while the U.S. has discouraged Ukraine from using weapons, uh, using U.S. weapons inside Russia, 
We know that that restriction does not apply to Crimea, which Russia has controlled since 2014. And Blinken has acknowledged this, that Crimea is a big red line for Putin. You know, the attacks on Crimea could be just as escalatory as attacks elsewhere in Russia. But that doesn't matter. Uh, Victoria Nuland said a few months ago that the U.S. supports Ukrainian attacks on the peninsula. And Jake Sullivan recently, you know, kind of reaffirmed that, yeah, we're giving them weapons. We don't care if they they could use them to hit Crimea um, and giving them, you know, these missiles with 190 mile range would make it a lot, a lot easier for them. Um all right, so the next one here, the UK says that NATO should consider waiving Ukraine membership plan. So British Defense Minister Ben Wallace said Thursday that NATO should consider skipping a member action plan as a requirement for Ukraine to join the Western Military Alliance. So the membership action plan is designed to ensure that aspiring NATO members meet certain political, economic, and military standards to join the alliance. Waiving the MAP, uh, the abbreviation for it, would speed up Ukrainian membership if Ukraine, sorry, if NATO ever formally invites Kiev to join. According to the UK Parliament's House of Commons Library, between 1990 and 2020, every new NATO member joined through the MAP. That's how they got in. You know, they started with that. It was a long process and then they joined. But recently, Finland and Sweden, they were invited invited to join NATO last year without having to go through that process. And we know Finland's a member now and Sweden is not yet and has more issues with Turkey now. So who knows when they will join. But that's kind of the argument coming from the British. So Ben Wallace said, quote, I think we should absolutely look at skipping the membership action plan. But of course, we have to put some realism in this space that there are 31 members of NATO now and we all have to move together End quote. So that's another good point is that a lot of these things are suggesting they have to get all these countries, you know, including Turkey and Hungary to go along. So Ukraine is looking to be invited to join the alliance at this Vilnius summit that will be held from July 11th to the 12th, you know, despite the fact that U.S. and NATO officials have said, nope, you know, no invite is on the table. Uh, it doesn't matter to Ukraine keeps asking for it. They keep saying Ukrainian officials have said it pretty frequently recently that, no, we want an invitation. Tell us that when the war's over, we can join. Give us a roadmap. We want more guarantees here. But most NATO members agree that Ukraine cannot join the alliance while it's fighting a war with Russia. And they're looking to give other sorts of things to Kiev to kind of make them happy. And I think this is one thing that they're looking at is waving this map. Uh, but President Biden, you know, media reports said that he was open to the idea of waiving this requirement for Ukraine. But he told reporters that that was not the case when, when he was asked about it. He said that they have to meet the same standards and he's not going to make it easier for Ukraine. So Ukraine was first promised that it would eventually become a NATO member in 2008, even though it's a huge red line for Russia. But they've never been given a real timeline. So and we know, you know, this is a point I always hammer, you know, really hammer on just the fact that whatever happens at this Vilnius summit, whatever new NATO support, it's going to prolong the war because Russia's main thing is Ukraine's alignment with NATO. That was their main demand in those short-lived negotiations was Ukrainian neutrality. All right, the next one here, Raytheon calls in retirees to help produce Stinger missiles. So Raytheon has called in retired engineers to help produce Stinger anti-aircraft missiles that the U.S. has been providing Ukraine. 
Stingers are shoulder-fired missiles that were out of production for 20 years until the U.S. started sending them to Ukraine when Russia first invaded last year. So now there's this new, you know, these Stingers are in high demand. And guess who's been running this policy of, you know, pouring all these weapons into Ukraine? Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, who before taking over at the Pentagon, he was a board member for of uh, Raytheon. I mean, so what a surprise that his policies are really benefiting this company. So according to the Pentagon, the U.S. has provided Ukraine with over 1,700 Stinger missiles to date. Uh, so Wes Kremer, he's the president of Raytheon Missiles and Defense. He said last week that, again, Stingers have been out of production for 20 years, and all of a sudden in the first few hours of the war, you know, became in hot demand. So Raytheon needs to produce the Stingers using blueprints drawn up during the Carter administration, as using more advanced production me methods would require redesigning the weapon. Um, the U.S. Army placed an order for Stingers in May 2022 to replace the ones sent to Ukraine, but the Pentagon said they won't be delivered until at least 2026, and Kremer is saying that it will take at least 30 months for the first missiles to be completed due to the time that it will take to restart production. So I put a quote in here from Greg Hayes, who's the Raytheon CEO, and this is in March 2022, basically him explaining how this war is going to benefit his company. He said, quote, everything that's being shipped into Ukraine today, of course, is coming out of stockpiles, either DOD or from NATO allies. And that's all great news. Eventually, we'll have to replenish it and we will see a benefit to the business over the next coming years, end quote. So, you know, when you got the people coming straight from these uh, defense contractors to run the Pentagon, I mean, this happened with uh, Mattis, who was Trump's first defense secretary. He came from, I think, I want to say General Dynamics, that might not be right, but I know also his other defense secretary, Mark Esper, he was a Raytheon guy. So this is just the new thing now. It's a revolving door. You know, it's always been kind of this revolving door from Pentagon positions to the arms industry. But now it's the, the guy running the thing is is just going in and out. When Mattis got uh, resigned, he went right back to uh, General Dynamics. If that if that's right, <laughs> whatever arms maker he was working for, he went right back there after running the Pentagon for a few years. Um, all right. So the next one here, Ukraine is in talk with Poland to purchase naval missile systems. And this article is from Connor Freeman over at the Libertarian Institute. Ukraine is negotiating with Warsaw to obtain the Kongsberg Naval Strike Missile System, which would give Kiev the ability to hit targets on land or at sea from a distance of more than 124 miles. The possible deal comes as the U.S. and its allies are working to boost the longer-range capabilities of the Ukrainian armed forces. Earlier in the war, Washington provided Kiev with a somewhat similar Harpoon anti-ship missile, or they provided with them the launchers, and I believe Denmark sent some missiles. Um, and this other system, uh, the N known as the NSM system, has a much greater range. Typically, uh, har harpoons vary in range. They can be 80 to 150 nautical miles. Um, Defense 24, a Polish outlet, reported that Ukrainians are considering whether to buy an entire NSM system or just some of its various parts. As part of its coastal missile squadron, Poland has two NSM systems in operation each system is made up of two batteries with three missile launch vehicles, each of which carries four missiles. Uh, Connor mentioned some of the other longer range missiles. I should have mentioned in my article about the uh, 
the attackums the what i should have mentioned is the storm shadow missiles which are cruise missiles that the british just started giving ukraine and they can be fired from their fighter jets and they can hit targets up to 155 miles away so that's a pretty significant distance of course russia has been you know warning very strongly against all of these escalations all right, the next one here, the Pentagon says that the Chinese balloon did not collect data in the United States. So the Pentagon said Thursday that the Chinese balloon that wound up over the U.S. in February did not collect data while it flew over U.S. territory. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder said, quote, we believe that it did not collect while it was transiting the United States or flying over the United States. And certainly the efforts that we made contributed, end quote. So he's saying, you know, the efforts of speaking to the Chinese while this was happening contributed to that. So this is just really something, you know, basically saying, you know, this spy balloon that caused all this hysteria wasn't spying. I mean, that's what the Pentagon is saying. Uh, Ryder made the comments when he, he was asked about a Wall Street Journal report that said the balloon contained U.S. made equipment. He said, quote, I don't have any specifics to provide as it pertains to the Chinese high altitude balloon and any potential U.S. components, end quote. So for their part, Beijing has said that the balloon was a civilian weather research device, while the Biden administration says it was a surveillance device. At this point, though, it's become clear that China did not intend to fly the balloon over the U.S., and this is something that President Biden recently acknowledged. This was when he called Xi a dictator. He called him a dictator, saying dictators don't like it when things you know, out of their control happen, and he was referring to the balloon flying over the U.S. Biden said, quote, that wasn't supposed to be going where it was. It was blown off course up through Alaska and then down through the United States, end quote. So this balloon incident caused a frenzy in Washington, causing Secretary of State Antony Blinken to postpone his trip to China, which he recently ended up going on. And members of Congress were, you know, just it was a frenzy, a hysteria. They were, call, you know, demanding that Biden shoot this thing down, which he eventually did off the coast of South Carolina. And if you remember, following the downing of this Chinese balloon, the U.S. shot down three unidentified objects using four $400,000 Sidewinder missiles. At, at least one of these was likely a small hobby balloon known as a Pico balloon, which can be purchased for as little as $12, depending on the type. And this is a balloon people send up and just kind of track around the world. And there's these hobby clubs that do it. And one of them said, I think, you know, our... our the U.S. shot down our balloon, again, with a $400,000 missile. And one of the balloons that they shot down, they missed, you know, and this thing probably landed, uh, it was over one of the Great Lakes. So, I mean, it's just, you see what these this frenzy can do. And this is just a balloon flying over the U.S. You know, it just makes you think about what if something does happen with China, some plane does get, you know, planes collide or a ship shoots out another ship, you know, the the country can just so easily get whipped up into this, you know, kind of uh, frenzy. I can't really think of another word for it in hysteria. And the White House has acknowledged that these three objects that they shot down after the Chinese balloon uh, were likely totally benign, as that's how the White House put it. Biden said that it was likely balloons tied to private companies, recreational or research institutions, studying whether or conducting other scientific research. So totally harmless things that it's very normal for them to be floating around. And the U.S. went out and shot them down with these missiles. And man, I mean, that's $1.6 million in missiles. 
that doesn't account for the cost of fuel and sending the planes up and all that. So again, you just see how dangerous this kind of thinking, this hysteria about China is, is, you know, what could happen if something real happens. All right. The next one here, Taiwan's Tsai thanks U.S. congressional delegation for increasing ties. So Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen met with a visiting U.S. congressional delegation in Taipei on Wednesday and thanked the lawmakers for the steps that the U.S. is taking to increase support for Taiwan. She told the delegation, quote, we thank the U.S. Congress for consistently showing bipartisan concern for Taiwan security and its show of support for the nation through concrete actions, end quote. Um, so I should mention that for the nation was included. Uh, she didn't use those words specifically. That was included by Taipei Times because um, Taiwan generally doesn't refer to itself as a nation. Uh, so the nine-person delegation was led by Representative Mike Rogers, who's a Republican from Alabama. He's the chair of the House Armed Services Committee. Congressional visits to Taipei anger Beijing as China is opposed to official contacts between the U.S. and Taiwanese governments. China views this as going against the One China policy. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Mao Ning told reporters on Thursday, quote, we firmly oppose any form of official interaction between the U.S. And, and the Taiwan authorities. All U.S. government bodies, including the executive, legislative, and judicial branches, should act on the foreign policy the U.S. government has affirmed and committed itself to, end quote. So the visit came after the House Armed Services Committee approved the House's version of the $886 billion dollar national defense authorization act which includes several provisions to increase military support for taiwan Tsai thanked the committee members efforts and thanked them for including things for taiwan in the ndaa and she stressed her government's efforts to increase military cooperation with the u.s saying quote deepening the security cooperation between taiwan and the u.s is crucial for maintaining the security of taiwan and the indo-pacific region end quote so the U.S. and Taiwan's efforts to boost ties in recent years have put Taiwan under more Chinese military pressure, as I am frequently covering. China's People's Liberation Army recently called new cooperation between the U.S. and Taiwan absolutely intolerable. So this was a big delegation. It, it was nine members of Congress uh, and, again, led by the chair of the House Armed Services Committee. So sure, China obviously is not happy about it. All right, the next one here, Pentagon should make amends for Syria drone strike. So 21 organizations have sent a letter to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin calling for the Pentagon to conduct a transparent investigation into a May 3rd drone strike that killed a civilian in northwest Syria's Idlib province. When the strike was first launched, U.S. Central Command claimed that it killed a senior al-Qaeda leader. But there was no immediate, uh, sorry, there was immediate indications that a civilian was hit that day. I, I wrote up a story about that because there was evidence that it looked like they killed a civilian. Pentagon officials later told CNN that CENTCOM did not know who they killed when they made the claim. So they lied about it. The victim of the drone strike turned out to be 56-year-old Latfi Hassan Misto, a father of 10 who was killed while herding his sheep in the Idlib countryside. Relatives and neighbors said he had no affiliation with Al-Qaeda or any militant group, and terrorism experts told the Washington Post there was no evidence that he did. So this letter was signed by a lot of organizations, including Amnesty International and Air Wars, which is the monitoring group 
um, that keeps track of a lot of U.S. airstrikes and drone strikes that kill civilians. And they're calling on the Pentagon to conduct a robust investigation into the strike. The Pentagon has announced a probe into the incident, but previous investigations into strikes that killed civilians have claimed no wrongdoing and did not result in any accountability. Specifically, the one um, I linked to here is the August 29th, 2021 drone strike in Kabul that killed 10 civilians, slaughtered a whole family, seven children were killed. Pentagon investigated it, found no wrongdoing, and nobody was fired or demoted or punished or anything. So these groups want the investigation to be transparent and released to the public. And they also called for the U.S. to make amends for the strike. They said, quote, if the department finds a civilian was killed, we ask that you provide acknowledgement and amends in consultation with his family or representatives as envisioned by your new plan to improve civilian harm response, end quote. So this incident really goes to show how the U.S. military will lie about these things, you know, that they say, oh, we killed a senior al-Qaeda leader, even though they didn't know who they killed at the time. All right, the next one here, Netanyahu drops key clause in judicial overhaul. This article is from Middle East Eye. So Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has dropped a central part of his government's judicial overhaul, but will still push ahead with the reforms. So in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, he said that the government would no longer seek to grant the Knesset Israel's parliament the authority to overturn Supreme Court rulings. Um, so he said he threw that out. And that was the big thing, as far as I understand, because that would have given, again, the, with a simple majority, anything the Supreme Court said, the Knesset could uh, you know, throw it out. You know, that's that's a pretty major, big power, big, big shakeup of government power. Um, he said, quote, I threw that out. I already changed a few things right after the original proposal was put forward. The way of choosing judges is not going to be the current structure, but it's not going to be the original structure, end quote. Um, so it's not clear. He said he would still keep and push other elements in the overhaul. Israelis have launched mass protests since January, very vague protests over the reforms, which they say would weaken the judiciary and turn the Supreme Court into a suedo political body that would bend laws in favor of government. Um, so, yeah, he, you know, he's getting pushed back from all over the place. I mean, there's there's members of the uh, I saw there were some Israeli pilots recently saying that they Air Force pilots that they won't fly if Netanyahu goes through with this. Uh, but it seems like the protests are still going on, even though he said he's going to scrap this uh, this big part of it. All right. Then the last story here, U.S. envoy for Iran on leave as clearance reviewed. So this is just a short article from AFP that I saw right before. Um, you know, I was finishing up. So the U.S. point man on Iran has been placed on leave, the State Department said Thursday, as reports said that his handling of sensitive material was under review. So this is Robert Malley, the special envoy for Iran. In a statement to several news outlets, he confirmed that his security clearance was under review and said he hoped the investigation would be resolved favorably. CNN, quoting anonymous sources, said the review was related to his handling of classified documents. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, especially with the indictment of Trump over apparently classified documents. And there's some stuff with Biden and classified documents. Um, so the State Department said that Mali was on leave. So that's all the State Department was saying publicly. But I guess there's reports that it's over classified documents. But 
it's interesting is that this this is happening. He's on leave as there's all these reports of that the U.S. and Iran are talking, and they were holding indirect talks in Oman. But another thing that wasn't that was in a few reports, and you know it wasn't confirmed, but I saw it in a, from a few different sources was the fact that Mali was holding direct talks with Iran's uh, representative to the UN, who's you know based in New York. Um, and that's pretty big because for the past, you know, since Trump got out of the deal in 2018, the U.S. and Iran, their governments haven't had direct, you know, talks like that. So I don't know, maybe this has something to do with that. Maybe there's other people in the government that are not happy about that. Um, that's just speculation. But I think it's the timing is definitely seems a little suspicious, you know, that this happens at, amid all these reports that the U.S. and Iran might be close to some kind of deal. And there's so many people, uh, you know, that are probably against it. Uh, that's it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. One from Caitlin Johnstone and her website, Aging Iraq Invaders Keep Accidentally Saying Iraq Instead of Ukraine. One from Russell Vandenbroek, uh, War Trudges On and On and On. Ellsberg, The Pentagon Papers in Ukraine. One from Ramsey Baroud, we will not surrender the extraordinary Palestinians of Janine. And one from Matt Taibbi at his substack, why Julian Assange must be freed. And our spotlight is from Connor Freeman. End the U.S. buildup for war with China. Pursue peace and cooperation. Uh, that's a great article over at the Ron Paul Institute. Go check that out. Uh, that's an issue, you know, I really am trying to focus on is the China stuff. Uh, so that's it for me for today. That's everything for the week. Uh, I hope everybody has a good weekend. You could always support us at antiwar.com slash donate. Also like, and subscribe to the show on YouTube, comment, tell your friends about it, share it around. I appreciate everything. Appreciate all the support and the feedback. Uh, but I'll talk to you after the weekend. Thanks for listening.